It's the ninth day of September, year of our Lord 2020. So glad you could join us. This is Concafe, a devotional online to put us in line <laughs> with God. Welcome. I'm Pastor Adi Valverde. We're looking at in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 19 to 31, in a devotional called Dad Splits the Sea, Son Walks on It. And you can probably guess what the story is all about. But hear now the word of God for us, his people. Verse 19. The angel of God that had been leading the camp of Israel now shifted and got behind them. And the pillar of the cloud that had been in front also shifted to the rear. The cloud was now between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. The cloud enshrouded one camp in darkness and flooded the other with light. The two camps didn't come near each other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and God, with a terrific east wind all night long, made the sea go back. He made the sea dry ground. The sea water split. The Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters, a wall to the right and to the left. The Egyptians came after them in full pursuit, every horse and chariot and driver of Pharaoh racing into the middle of the sea. It was now the morning watch. God looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud on the Egyptian army and threw them into a panic, or he clogged the wheels of their chariots. They were stuck in the mud. The Egyptians said, run from Israel. God is fighting on their side and against Egypt. God said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters will come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, over their horsemen. Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. As the day broke and the Egyptians were running, the sea returned to its place as before. God dumped the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. The waters returned, drowning the chariots and riders of Pharaoh's army that had chased after Israel into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites walked right through the middle of the sea on dry ground the waters forming a wall to the right and to the left. God delivered Israel that day from the oppression of the Egyptians, and Israel looked at the Egyptian dead washed up on the shore of the sea and realized the tremendous power that God brought against the Egyptians. The people were in reverent awe before God and trusted in God and his servant Moses. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Well, welcome, friend. I pray this is a joyous midweek day for you. I pray the full blessings of God reach you and be with you and just give you an awesome day as we go about doing all that we need to do. I have sat in classes where the professor shared a theory or two regarding this very same passage, making me wonder if these were his or were they truly someone else's. One professor said that the Red Sea, split in two by God's mighty hand, was nothing more, at the time, than a small stream or a pond. And the name of it wasn't really the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, meaning it was shallow and had plenty of reeds to hold on to as the people of God made their way across. And don't get me into discussing the number of people that were crossing. You know, you've heard from two or three million people to just a group of runaway slaves, 14 to 20 at the most. 
Well, I respect the right of those who don't believe to not believe. That was part of the lesson yesterday. And I reserve the right to believe sometimes we make a mockery of faith when we try so hard to, quote, make sense of what is clearly God works, miracles, that is, that are not meant to be explained but enjoyed. But here's the story. As God promised, he delivered his people from the oppression of Pharaoh and thus began a 40-year journey of formation. Let's put that into perspective. Ask any bride who has been married at least 40 years to the same man. (laughs) Got to clarify that. And she'll be quick to tell you she finally got hubby where he needed to be. It took that long. It took 40 long years to form that man into the husband she always wanted. Now, to be fair, if you ask any man who's been married that same amount of time, or maybe if you ask that very husband of the wife we are quoting, he will quickly reply, yes, dear. All joshing aside, examine what we have in the few verses shared here in this tremendous book. The camp of Israel did not simply wander out into the wilderness alone. Keep that in mind. They were free. The last plague, the Passover, the passing over of the angel of death over the firstborn uh, children, livestock of Egypt, freed them. And in haste, they had eaten that Passover meal. And in haste, they left the land of Goshen. They left Egypt into the wilderness to make their way wherever it was that God was going to lead them. They were leaving behind oppression and captivity and a hard life of working long, hot hours doing the building and and, uh, the work that nobody else wanted to do. And this was free labor because they were no longer children related to the prince of Egypt. Now they were slaves. The very first verse, verse 19 says, The angel of God led the way. And it was at that point of the story that the angel goes to the rear of the group and the pillar of cloud also shifted to the rear. Again, keep in mind that people were not wandering aimlessly around the desert without any sort of guidance from God. The angel of God was leading the way for the first few days, first few miles. Then he shifts to the back of the camp and for a very important reason. He didn't want the army of Pharaoh to come and get them from behind. And keep in mind that during the day, the pillar of cloud was the evidence of God leading them during the day. And at night, that pillar of cloud was a pillar of fire that was evidence of God with them at night. Again, proof that they were not alone. Those were visible symbols of the presence of God himself walking with them. Now, the shift occurs as the mass of people realize that the free walking rage of endless desert was now quickly coming to an end into the ocean. And with every step they took, the armies of Pharaoh were quickly gaining on the fleeing slaves. You have to stop and realize that the armies, all the men in these armies, had lost someone in their family to the last plague. Every father in the army lost the firstborn son. Every owner of cattle lost the firstborn of cattle. But that meant that they were in mourning and they were enraged at the same time at the people whose God caused these deaths. And so most wanted to be home with the preparations necessary to bury their dead. 
And instead, here they are trying to stop this free labor from escaping. And here, as they think they're getting closer, they now see there is a cloud blocking their view of the escaped slaves. The same cloud that darkened the camp of the Egyptians was making the camp of the Hebrews bright as midday sun. And as the scripture says, the two camps didn't come near each other all night. It'd be at that realization that had I been in that camp, (laughs) had I been part of that Israelite group escaping, I'd be hollering hallelujah. As the Hebrews neared the sea, Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and God, with a terrific east wind all night long, made the sea go back. Then the water receded, and the seawater split. Now, you have to know that in that group were those that were saying, oh, this is it. We couldn't have died, you know, by hard labor back in Egypt. No, Moses has to drag us out here to drown in this ocean. But all of a sudden, they see that there is no longer an ocean waiting to drown them. There is now like a walking path between the two walls of sea. And so they're not going to drown as they thought. They just got the last bit of Egypt out of the way thanks to God. Now, once they were mostly across, God allowed the Egyptians to come in, only to find their chariots, chariot wheels getting stuck in the mud, and most of them are confused, but not enough, so they said, run from Israel. God is fighting on their side and against us. How quickly these people came to realize that Israel did indeed have a living God and not a fake human person sitting on the throne of power back home that claimed to be God. And when they realized that, they said, we better run because God is fighting on their side. And more importantly, he's fighting against us. It was then that Moses heard God saying to him, stretch your hand over the sea once more and the waters will come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, over their horsemen. And so it was. Egypt defeated Israel with a big W in their column. Everyone in the army of Pharaoh is now dead. Scripture says not one survived. It was then the Israelites realized what the drowning Egyptians did, that God has tremendous power and that God brought that tremendous power against their enemy. Scripture also says the people were in reverent awe before God and trust in God and his servant Moses. It sounds just like the end of some Sundays we've had in church. The music hit just right. They sang our favorite hymn. All our favorite people were there. The prayers lifted up, included our need. And then the pastor preached the sermon that truly spoke to us about where we were and where we needed to be. Amen. Let's go home and enjoy a fine meal. Take a nap. Watch whatever game may be on. For God is truly in his heaven and he has smiled upon us. But then the game doesn't go as we wanted and the Cowboys lose again. Or earlier, when we went to what we thought would be our favorite eating place for that Sunday, the crowd was so large. So we decided to pick up curbside and eat it at home. We saw other church members picking up curbside and eating it in their truck. And when we turn on our computer or look at our phone, we see an email that comes from the boss saying that he expects us earlier than usual and a to-do list that is longer than the receipt from CBS. How soon we can forget about all that God has done in our favor. And this is a spoiler alert to the remaining years that Israel still faced in the wilderness. They would not go quietly and they would not go happily. I'll tell you that much. 
But friends, above all things, that special worship time should be enough to help us float past Sunday afternoon right over Monday morning and into a time of reflection and gratitude for all that God has done on our behalf. What we receive on Sunday usually, usually, is more than enough to help us with the rest of the days coming directly toward us like a freight train. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you on this midweek day for what you have done for us in past days. May the sweet memories of worship victory speak to the small defeats that we seem to receive when we don't really want them. May your spirit lift us gently up and guide us through the rest of this week, preparing us to once again worship and praise you in ways that bring honor and glory to you. We ask, Lord, for those that are sick that you bring healing to them. We ask to those that have lost loved ones that you bring comfort to them. And we pray that in every corner of the world where there is conflict that you bring peace, where there is sadness that you bring joy, where there is hopelessness bring hope. And Father, feel free to plug us in wherever we can serve you in a faithful way. And this we pray in Christ Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you again for tuning in. Have a great and blessed day in the Lord. Show someone today that you're still blessed by what God has done in your life. It could have been Sunday, it could have been Saturday, it could have been a year ago. It could have been your walk to Emmaus walk. Whatever that event was, remember that. And that should be enough to carry you steadily onward and upward. Receive my blessings of peace and love. I'm Pastor Adelio Valverde. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.